Welcome to High Impact Growth, a podcast from Demagi about the role of technology in creating a world where everyone has access to the services they need to thrive. I'm Amy Vaccaro, your co-host, and I'm recording live today from Arlington, Virginia, where the 2022 Global Digital Health Forum is happening. This is the first post-COVID in-person gathering of the Global Digital Health Network, and it's a hybrid event with both virtual and in-person programming. The Demagi team is here in force, sharing lessons learned, learning from our peers and broader ecosystem, and reconnecting with partners, implementers, funders, and friends. Jonathan Jackson, Demagi's CEO and my co-host for this podcast, has been interviewing folks on the sidelines of this event to understand the real stories, what's going on in digital health, what's working, what's not working, what challenges are we seeing, and how are we doing when it comes to making digital health work for frontline health workers. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sharing snippets from those conversations. Today, we've got the first of these conversations with Nick Martin, CEO of TechChange. TechChange is a fellow social enterprise in global health and development with an important role as a convener and creator of events and courses, many focused on digital health. In this short but insightful conversation, you'll hear Nick's reflections on the evolution of the industry, TechChange's role, how to make complex and dry technical topics interesting and engaging, and why it matters. Welcome to the High Impact Growth Podcast. I'm here with Nick Martin, and this conversation is going to be twice as good as it was yesterday when we lost our recording. So I'm really excited to be doing this again with you, Nick. Thank you so much for coming. Nick Martin um, and I have known each other for probably five or ten years at this point, and he's the leader of an amazing organization, Tech Change. Nick, can you tell us about yourself and the organization? Yeah, Jonathan, great to be here and excited for round two. Uh, so. You know, Tech Change is now about 12 years old. We uh, got our start uh, 2010 or so, building international development courses on technology for uh, a really global audience. And I was thinking back, like it's it's been, I think, 10 years of coming to this conference, Global Digital Health Forum, when it was back at the Gaylord. Uh, and we also uh, ran, I think, the first M Health course or online course for this community back in 2012-2013. Uh, the folks at UN Foundation and the M Health Alliance, what was then the M Health Alliance, took a big chance on us. So we've really, you know, we've had some interesting chapters in our journey over the past 12 years, evolving from providing these courses to practitioners um, to now uh, building a, a, a pretty exciting and comprehensive uh, digital health planning national systems course with USAID and PATH uh, for practitioners in government, people building policy and making big decisions with large, complex uh, communities and systems. And we are here at the Global Digital Health Forum together. And as you mentioned, this conference has been going on for 10 years. When Tech Change was first building your courses, you were primarily helping people to learn what M-Health was, how to deploy M-Health. And the industry has matured a lot. Um, it's kind of a de facto assumption that digital health is important to deploy that um, you know, governments are looking for ways to make sure they're successful. And the course that you mentioned, I'd love to hear more about, but I imagine over the years, it's, it's changed a lot from how do we successfully deploy an M-Health or digital health tool for a pilot or a project versus how do we, um, as a whole of government or as a ministry of health or as a donor, support this kind of now fait accompli or like a given that you have to have? Because 10 years ago, this was definitely not a given. It's so interesting. Yeah, the evolution has been fascinating. We are no longer making the case that there uh, should be a field of digital health, M-Health at the time. 
we have tons of practitioners who have built incredible tools and ecosystems. So the last few years have really been about connecting those dots and thinking intentionally about the next level. And, and really when it comes to country planning, how do these ministries of health actually take, uh, you know, the, the different pieces or sometimes fragmented systems that exist in their countries and start to be a lot more intentional about a holistic plan. You know, it's interesting that the digital health course that we've built for ministries of health started four years ago in a conference center in Lesotho. And we had about 50 folks, half of them were from ministries of health, half were from ministries of IT. And a lot of them, maybe like 10, 15 countries represented, a lot of them had never talked to the folks in their, in their own countries in, in, um, in parallel missions and, and, uh, and ministries. And so just being able to have uh, this type of a conversation around governance, around all the building blocks, what is required to be successful, and then to have that led by the WHO, have so many great standards and guidelines coming from the digital health unit there. And then obviously the great work Merrick Schaefer and others have, have, um, have kind of uh, created the path for uh, has, has allowed us to come in and do what we do best, which is design the best possible uh, curriculum and interactive exercises and activities that we're most excited about. So you mentioned that training, policy, governance, these aren't necessarily the sexiest topic. They're really not. And so uh, it, it's taken a lot of creativity on our end. I think, again, our superpower is, is coming in and designing best-in-class curriculum. And so that specifically has meant things like building a board game on how to make really thoughtful interoperable digital health investments and the game mechanic is you have a certain number of opportunities before your health system fails to uh to make the right investments and it's not always easy and it requires collaboration so designing activities like that in a multi-module multi-format training that can be delivered online in person really however the learner uh you know can can experience and accept it has been a big challenge but it's not sexy and a lot of folks who are trying to reach don't really love the idea of training so there's been an interesting resistance to the idea of joining a workshop and planning national health systems that we've had to sort of overcome but once people are in this experience they love it they love being able to uh it's very interactive we've got a lot of activities like the ones i just mentioned and so having these hard conversations, tying it directly in an applied way to their work has been a really tremendous experience for them. The feedback's been great, and we're starting to see some real changes happen at the planning level. That's awesome. And you have, uh, I believe, trained over 500 people through one of these, these courses, and I think in cohorts of 30 or so. So how have you seen you know have you adapted your training methodology have you seen the excitement to join these policy courses being maybe higher over time as people like heard from their colleagues or peers in other countries the value of it but to your point yeah i would think getting people bought into training um you know this this pretty hard problem with these pretty esoteric at time um, subject areas is a challenge so how, how do you engage people have you noticed higher levels of engagement as you've gotten better at this as the words kind of out around the value of this training yeah, I think that it, 
you know, it's funny. It's almost like the course itself in its early, very early stages was like 14 different people giving 14 different lectures about different topics. So in a way, we had to make the training interoperable ourselves. And that was a, a very time-intensive but uh, exciting journey. Uh, and I think that demand, as we've done about 30 or so of these trainings this year, the demand has snowballed. We're starting to get, uh, uh, you know, Ministry of Health officials talking to each other. UNICEF is now involved in DICE, and so they have come in to also help, um, you know, with their country office network in, uh, insight demand for this. So there's no question that having something that's so high quality that is so uh, effective at trying to, to, to think about the applied side of this journey has, has um, been immensely valuable for folks. But we like the idea of keeping it high quality. How to scale that with the demand we have has been a challenge. And so we have a train the trainers model that we're working on. We have it now translated into a number of different languages. Very complicated if you're curious to think about how you keep the, the, the quality high and still deliver in other languages. But we've done French and Spanish. We're looking at Arabic, Hindi, a few others. Uh, so that's exciting too. I think, I think seeing where that takes us next year really is about the scale piece and and the localization element as well. So with a ton of global good software projects in the industry, we, we talk a lot about software and platforms and Comcare or DHIS2 or OpenMRS, and less about how you configure the content on those platforms to create an amazing experience. And in our strategy, how that leads to better jobs, better outcomes, but in other people's strategy, maybe a different goal. You spend a ton of time developing high-quality content and thinking about how to maintain it, how to improve it over time. I'm curious for you just to speak a little bit about it because I don't think we hear from a lot of people who are, you know, incredibly focused on the content layer that's running on top of these platforms, and that is critical. You can have the best or worst LMS that you pick to support this, and if the content layer is bad, nothing's going to work. And on top of that, as you mentioned, we're already talking with, you know, about a topic that may not be the sexiest thing in the first place. So, how do you think about that? Like, how do you convince funders to come in and support that? How do you work with your team to think about that? But that sounds like its own you know, product management challenge into itself. I'm so glad you mentioned that, uh, Jonathan, because it is, it is a great question that vexes us uh, constantly. How do, you, how do you really build the right content strategy for the tool that you're implementing? And, and so for us, one of the things we're most proud of this year is we have produced uh, I want to say maybe 10, 15 total videos uh, on different digital public goods. Um, and for each of these, we had like a great production roadmap for our partners who many of whom had never really built out a serious produced video. And so that involved scripting and B-roll and, and animation and all these different elements. And we gave them the, the cookie cutter building blocks for them to drop their, their continent and help to sort of project manage it. And the result has been some really powerful uh, uh, videos that, that have never existed before for this community. And I was just walking around the halls today, everyone was saying, oh, it's so great that we now have this, we're using this for X, Y, and Z. So, you know, I think that it, it, it always feels like an afterthought for the folks that are building tools, but when they have it and when they go through a process with us to create something really meaningful, they can't imagine life without it. And so I, I do think that, uh, you know, we see our role as being able to, to be the engine for a lot of the, the content pieces for the tools, but then how the tools fit together. I think that's been a challenge for the governments to sort through um, and, and um, really trying to think about interoperability at all levels. Uh, and then in fact, one of the great videos we did work on was talking about 
digital health architecture and interoperability in a coherent way because we found that we were doing so many uh, sessions trying to explain this really complex topic. Why not have a really great video? And we've gotten some, some wonderful feedback on that too. So, you know, I think just looking to do more like that and to really think about content differently alongside, you know, high quality production for targeted groups. Yeah, and just to plug, um, Nick, that, that thinking and that approach to a lot of the technologists out there who are listeners, it's critical to put a high priority on the production value of what you're doing in these systems, whether it's Comfair or others, again, the layer of content is, that's the user experience, right? That, that the software is a means to an end to develop these experiences for the end user. And often it's overlooked, I think, unfortunately. And, and so it's critical. And we spend a ton of time when we have the ability to doing what we call designer to the lingo tree and really getting in there. Uh, but through any means necessary, really understanding how do you, how do you get that and how do you do that feedback. I'm curious, how successful have you been convincing funders or programs that like, look, we can get to you know, B quality with this amount of funding, but we should be shooting for A quality. This has gone out to 500 or 1,000 people, and that's a big difference between being A quality. Like, has that landed? Have you been successful and able to track the resources you need to get to that highest level of quality? It's always been a hard sell, Jonathan. You know, and we have grown up in the era of MOOCs where funders are seduced by just massive enrollment numbers, and we are quick to tell them, well, look, you can get 50,000 people signing up for your course, but 4% are finishing it and the learning outcomes are, are not great. So we have been big proponents of, of cohort-based social learning for you know, the past 12 years before it became popular, which it, a bit of right now, there's a renaissance in, in cohort-based learning with the pandemic. So we've seen the best outcomes when we emphasize relationships alongside skills building. And so that's been a big dimension of our of our work, but it is tough. I think, again, USAID, PATH have, have really appreciated the high quality nature of this training. And like, I really do feel like anybody can just kind of record 14 lectures and 14 different topics and put them online and say, well, that's an online course. Like that is still happening in 2022 across a number of domains and subjects. But to really think intentionally about a learning journey, think about how you be, become outcomes driven, to get creative about the activities, to, to think about the activities in an applied way. So like there's a, a budgeting exercise in this course, there's uh, you know a strategy exercise, there's for each piece of content that we introduce, there's something applied that is facilitated and it's just harder to do that uh, at scale. So again, we do have some exciting plans for Train the Trainer this year. We are thinking about how we help folks become great facilitators, both online and in person with this content. And if we can't make a single person do that, how do we pair digital health expertise that's needed to deliver this type of training with facilitation expertise that's really needed to make sure the learning outcomes um, are effective? So that, that's the strategy and we're excited to see where that takes us. And you mentioned learning outcomes right there. I think this is something that, again, I've been talking about at the conference, but that shared goal, like what is the purpose of this digital health intervention? What is the purpose of this training? So when you think about learning outcomes, particularly for this course for policymakers, what is the goal? You know, like what should be true about somebody who's taken these courses and what are we hoping as a community, technologies like this are, are supporting governments to do? Is it better decision-making? Is it more awareness? Like, how do you think about that learning objective? 
Yeah, I think it is certainly better decision making, but it's it's really assuming that at this point in time, 2022, governments already have some element of digital health programming happening under their roof, right? They're they're already managing it, and they're probably frustrated by how systems don't talk to each other and how an architecture may or may not be coherent and fully fleshed out. And so this course is really trying to sort of say, we're going to start you where you are, but we're going to talk about how you take those building blocks and think intentionally uh, about strategy and governance and um, and planning and policy and budgeting. And so again, it is designed to be very applied. And we have, with each of these, we have examples of countries that have done this well, and we're trying to learn from those. And a big piece of this is also making sure that the network of humans is built up around this. We saw we have a ton of alums here at the at the conference today. So you know, to me, the relationships are are really important for being able to to you know actually get to that applied decision making that we're all aiming for. As you look at you know talking to people in your alumni or other people here at the Global Digital Health Forum, are there um, courses you wish you were being asked to create? Are there personas that you wish you were able to support? Like where, what's next, where, where are you headed and where are you feeling the industry kind of pulling you, you know, at this point in time? There's a lot of push to do translation. We're working hard on Spanish and Portuguese right now. Uh, modules, WHO and others are very excited about modules on telemedicine and there seems to be a lot of demand for that. Heard a lot of talk at the conference about building modules and training around fire. There are some great fire standards trainings out there. Uh, Google and others have, have been really great about seeding this ecosystem. But I think there's an opportunity for us to do what we do best, which is tie that into a coherent learning journey with um, and connect it to the rest of the digital health architecture journey we've got. So. Those are a few, uh, you know, I think that there is the holy grail of getting high quality community health worker training to happen. But, you know, my constant challenge over the past 12 years has been trying to do what I think we do best, which is that high quality piece. And then to sort of marry that with, oh, it's got to be mobile and it's got to be SMS. And I, you know, throw my hands up and say, well, we can't, we can't have critical thinking happen at the level we want if it's got to be, you know, delivered over WhatsApp or something. So. I think that's still a challenge, but I do think there are opportunities to take what we've done and target some adjacent uh, audiences. I think you know, entrepreneurs and and startups are an interesting space, uh, and you know I, th I think there are. We do a lot of work with Chapaygo and and other big global health implementers, and uh, and so they're looking at at other audiences where we might be able to potentially take this. So I'm excited to see where we go. That's great. You mentioned Chapaygo, and I know they do a ton on the the health worker front. We're obviously looking a ton at learning for CHWs and absolutely like you do have to make big trade-offs technologically on what you can do there. Um, you mentioned telemedicine, which is a really exciting area. One question I'm curious about on telemedicine or other modules you've built, there's the initial kind of like revenue header on the technology and then there's the sustainability, like the financing scheme is it, like you could do telemedicine, but should you, you know, under what condition? So, is that part of what you're thinking about in helping guide those kind of strategic level decisions? Because we, um, as a community, I think fail often to define what does shared success look like? Not, not now, but 2000 days from now, you know, after the five year grants over in year six, what should be true about the world? And how do we define it and make sure everybody's supporting this vision, often from the government, but could be the you know, private sector, 
um, that it's true six years from now? And how do you work backwards to, to make that happen? There's a whole budgeting component. And so, um, you know, I, I think that if we were to do telemedicine and we'd approach it in that way, you know, how, what are the trade-offs and how do we, how do we make sure that people really go in eyes open with, with what's required to sustain and, uh, and manage these programs over the long haul. So I think that's important and excited to see where we take that too. And the budgeting side is one piece of it. I want to put a plug in for the shared definition of success on the other side of it. So we, we talk a ton about sustainability. We deploy Comcare in a huge number of countries. There's a lot of questions around how are we going to sustain this? And is it worth it? I'm like, that is a completely valid ask. That is a completely valid question of is it worth it? And that's got to be put in context of not just the budget, but the expected impact to better jobs for the provider, the impact of better outcomes for the client and or improving livelihoods, avoiding healthcare altogether. And so that's something that I'm really curious because I, I would put a plug in if there's not a module on this, this is to me something that's critical because in year one when the project's going well, mm-hmm. nobody takes the time to think about this. Well, you don't need it in year one. I'm not claiming this is like a critical change to the work plan in year one, but in year five when you're like, are we still gonna put time and effort into this project? you better understand what value that project's creating or you're going to turn it off. Yeah, I, you know, I, I will have to get Merrick and, and Ariel in here to go deep with you on this, but I, I, I agree. I think, I think that that kind of long-term planning is often why we're in this fractured state that we're trying to kind of work around and against. So uh, this is a long journey. And I think the other challenge is, yeah, when you work with ministries of health, there are administrations that turn over. And so, you know, governments are... It's really tricky to get that continuity in decision making, and so, uh, but like lives are at stake, you know. I think I think that the COVID, um, that the pandemic has in many ways kind of forced a lot of these ministries to rethink how they're doing business and how they do a better job of planning to prevent. And so, uh, I'm excited to see where they take that. I, I think that we will still probably end up making some of these same mistakes, but at least we're we're trying to be a little more systematic about how we address them. Awesome, Nick. Well, thank you so much for joining. Yeah. Any last words you want to share? Excited to be here and just big Comcare fan. So thank you all for doing the work that you do and excited to see what else we can, we can work on together next year. Thank you so much to Nick Martin and Jonathan Jackson for a candid and thoughtful conversation. And also for their patience dealing with technical difficulties. They had to record that conversation twice. So hope you enjoyed it. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed this. It really helps us grow our audience and our impact. And if you've got questions, ideas, suggestions for us, please write to us at podcast at Thank you so much.